Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Service. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love to utilize the power of story to find out how people have developed their mindset for performance. We talk with CEOs, coaches, athletes, actors, really anybody who considers himself to be a performer to gain a better understanding and perspective on how these people see the world. The goal is to dig deep with each person and find out about their mindset. We'll learn about their successes, their failures. The goal is to uncover great pieces of information that hopefully can help you as you continue to create your own journey. We'll talk with people at the beginning of their journey, those in the heart of their career, and those who are able to reflect back on the career that they've had. We are all a compilation of the stories that we hear and the stories that we tell ourselves. So as you listen, it's important to think about how these themes relate to your journey as you go beyond the surface with yourself as well. Today we go beyond the surface with professional runner Heather Kampf. Heather is a four-time United States national champion in the one-mile road race. Before she went pro, she ran at the University of Minnesota and became the school's most decorated women's track and field athlete in history. Uh, She earned All-American honors eight times. She holds 10 school records and became the only Golden Gopher to compete in every NCAA championship in cross-country indoor, and outdoor track during her time at the university. As a freshman in 2006, Heather was the NCAA indoor track and field champion in the 800-meter race. In 2008, Heather won the University of Minnesota's Golden Goldie Female Athlete of the Year Award. Also in 2008 is where she had a race that is now on YouTube where she fell in the middle of the race and came back to win that race. And that's where I actually heard about Heather. Uh, When I watched that video, it's a really inspirational video that I recommend you check out on YouTube. And that video was actually what led me to Heather. So we connected on Twitter and talked over Skype a few years back. And I figured once I launched this podcast, uh, it's probably as good a time as ever to have her on the show. So she was gracious with our time. I really appreciate her coming on. And as you'll see, she's really conscientious human being and athlete. She also coaches high school runners. So she has great perspective on what it takes to be successful as a coach, as an athlete. And she'll talk about her running career in high school, college, and now pro. So you'll enjoy Heather's perspective. She's pretty clear on what she wants to do. So without further ado, I present to you, Heather Kampf. Heather, if you could start, just tell me about your upbringing, what life was like for you as a kid. Uh, Paint that picture for us a little bit. Um, sure. I grew up just south of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, I have just one older sister, Kara, and um, my parents. And um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I would say that my life was pretty like normal suburban like childhood for the most part. Um, I like think from an early age, I was always kind of a, a go getter in school and sports and stuff like that. So. Um, that was definitely a big part of like what shaped me in who I was and kind of gave me an identity a little bit because I was pretty shy, I would say, but that was like the one thing that I could do that I could just be entirely myself. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's not a ton to say in that regard. What sports did you play growing up? Um, gosh, well, when I started, I was actually mostly just a gymnast. Um, I did gymnastics from third grade to my senior year of high school. Wow. Um, 
I also did dance before that a little bit, but my favorite part about every dance class was the last 15 minutes when they would set out mats and let us um, do gymnastics. So I think my mom kind of figured out like maybe you're in the wrong place if you're just looking forward to the extracurriculars at dance. So um, my sister and I both did it, which was kind of fun to be able to be in class together, but it was time for me to try something else. And gymnastics is something that I think a lot of athletes start with and i think it just gives you a foundation for athleticism can you just talk about gymnastics as a uh, third grader and what that was like for you going up in into high school yeah um so i kind of just started out um in the non-traditional i would say gymnast format like a lot of kids start even younger than that and do like the club gymnastics for years and years to um kind of move up the levels as they go along. Um, I was more of that community ed backyard gymnast kind of person who sort of taught myself most of the tumbling skills that I knew early on. And then, um, started going to class just a couple days a week. And, um, I think there definitely is something about gymnastics that you have to work really hard, um, in order to just gain the strength in order to be able to do the skills that you're trying to do. Um, and there's always something bigger. There's like another level to chase after all the time of, of new tricks and things that you can learn, um, stuff like that. And it's really multifaceted. You have all the different events that you can kind of work on. So, um, for me, I think it was kind of nice because, you know, when you're in third grade, you don't really have that like strong of an attention span to do just one thing. So I liked bopping around between the floor and the bars and the team and everything and just kind of working on all those things. So a lot of gymnasts though, uh, had, and I'm sure you saw this as you went to competitions, had a little different take on gymnastics because I think a lot of kids start young and they get really serious and it's really intense. And I've worked with college gymnasts and they talk about the intensity and the seriousness and, and the fear that comes with gymnastics of fear of injury and, and, and that sort of stuff. Were you prone to that world or was yours more of, Hey, I'm just going to do this for fun. Or like, what was your approach to gymnastics? Yeah, I would say that because I wasn't in that world, it wasn't quite like that for me. Um, even when I joined the high school team and was a bit more serious about the sport, my coaches were very laissez-faire and um, they were they were hard on us and they made us work like crazy. Like I remember just really hard conditioning days where like everything would be shaking the next day with like muscle spasms, it felt like. But um I think it was always more about just like doing your best and um, performing and, and just doing what you can. So there's certainly that level of perfectionism that I know I have in me. And that's probably what drew me to the sport too, is I liked when we couldn't leave until we did 10 perfect backhand springs on the beam or something like that. Like that was fine with me to kind of have those standards for myself. Um, but we didn't have the same sense of like if you're hurt, your career is over kind of thing. Um, I did have a, a fairly serious injury in gymnastics my sophomore year of high school. Um, but at that point, I was already realizing that I was a pretty darn good runner as well. I started running track my freshman year and cross country my sophomore year of high school. And so at that point, my primary concern was, oh, no, am I going to be back on time to run track in the spring? So as much as I have loved having that um, experience of doing gymnastics. And I think that the skills and the, the balance of myself as an athlete um, really helped me perform well um, in the track and field world. It was, it was more of a positive, just like fun experience for me the whole time. Can you go back and forth? Cause you were doing both at the same time. Can you compare and contrast running to gymnastics from a approach standpoint or a mental standpoint? 
Yeah. Um, so I basically only started track because my gymnastics coach told me it would be a good idea my freshman year. So that like January or February during the winter season, we were sprinting in the basements of the high school and, um, I was the first girl on the team that could beat him. He'd usually give the rest of the girls a head start. So, um, it was one of those things where he said, you know, Heather, I think you should go out for track. So it was entirely just based off of his suggestion that I went out in the first place. Um, and I thought at first, ironically, that I would be a miler, um, which I kind of am now. But when I started doing and experimenting with races, my coaches were like, oh, you're pretty quick. Let's bring you down more into that middle distance and sprint range. So I was doing four by twos and fours and a little bit of 800s my first year in track. And it was for lack of a better way of putting it, it was just easy. Like I just found my niche. Um, it wasn't necessarily too pressure filled at that point because I just felt like anything I asked of my body, it could do. And did you feel like gymnastics was more pressure filled or less pressure filled or, or just Heather in high school is, is sort of laissez faire when it comes to, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm just trying to get an image of like yeah. what you were like as yeah. a competitor. I would say that, competition in gymnastics was more pressure filled because you, you have to stick your moves. You have to stay on the B and there's just a lot more, um, of that performance, all eyes on you involvement kind of thing that it just puts you on the spot. Whereas in track, like you're certainly people can watch you the entire time, but you're one of amongst many people in the race. Um, and I think I had such positive expectations to be in the front that, it wasn't as pressure filled because it, things just turned out the way I expected them to for the most part. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned that a P word earlier, which was perfectionism. And <laughs> how did your perfectionism help you when you came from this? Cause gymnastics is about that. It is about getting it right. Like you, you have to stick, stick with it and no, it's not okay to slip or fall because you're on the beam and you can't fall off the beam or, um, you're being, you're literally being judged. <laughs> um, so can you talk about perfectionism and what that did for you when it came to the track? Um, and just balancing that sort of approach and that mindset. Yeah. Um, so I would say like any, any true perfectionist who knows like from an early age that they kind of tend towards that direction, um, that it's really important to surround yourself with people who are forgiving and teach you to be be forgiving of yourself. Um, so luckily for the most part, I felt like I really had that in my coaches and my parents and teammates and stuff like that. So like relating the gymnastics thing like even if I did fall off the beam I had teammates and coaches that were you know giving me the pat on the back and saying hey you're okay like you did your best um so but moving that into the track world I would say um I definitely had those expectations early on to be winning most of my races and to be doing pretty well and to get that anchor position to um run all the relays and stuff like that so um I would say it was easy at the time because things were working out. But, um, when I actually did face adversity in track, it actually beat me up quite a bit more than it did in gymnastics because I think I just took myself so seriously. And most of the time it was so easy that I didn't really, um, expect to have problems or to see failure or things like that. So I had been um, on the starting line for the section meet, which qualifies you for the state meet in my primary event, I had won the year before and I had all started. I just bopped a little, my foot on the line, towed over a little and came back before the gun went off. And 
So I thought in high school, if you false started, you just got a second chance and they just won the whole field. But apparently that's not the case. And they kicked me off the track. And that was devastation. Like I ran off into the woods and cried and was like just inconsolable for the most part. But I also had another event later in the 800. So I had to come back. I ran it. I think I won it or at least I made it to state. So I, I knew how to turn it on when it was important, but then I remember the next two days, like I could barely eat or sleep. I was just so upset about not being able to race the 400 at state. Um, so there was definitely (laughs) some growing to do there. Yeah. You, but I think it's a misconception that perfectionism is bad. Um, because I think, uh, in order to get to a certain level, you have to have that desire to improve and that desire to do it right. And I think all the times we just say, oh, don't, don't try to be perfect. And if we don't approach things that way, then we might be ignoring a weakness or we might not be covering something that we could improve upon. And I think perfectionism, just like fear of failure, the two of them get like a really bad rap and and we say like, don't fear failure and don't try to be perfect. And it's like, well, wait a second here. Like when I'm preparing, like I want to try to get it right. And like, I think gymnastics does a really good job of training people that way. It's like, no, you're going to keep doing this. Like you said, it might take you 10 times, but you're going to keep doing it till you get it right. And imagine like a basketball player or a soccer player or a baseball player or you know someone in track and field that's probably a good way to get better and to improve um the issue is when we get into competition if we are just focused on being perfect we might not run freely or we might not hit that balance beam um in the fluid motion that the sport calls for so i'm just perfectionism is something that's really interesting to me because every pro athlete i've ever talked to has told me right off the bat i'm a perfectionist and then we, we go into a conversation about what is perfectionism? Is it even something that's real? Because, you know, if you become a lawyer or a doctor, like, and that's what you are, you, there's actually a path to become that, but there's no actually, there's no actual path to become a perfectionist and a perfectionist by nature can't actually become a perfectionist because they'll never think that they've arrived. So I'm going down a rabbit hole a little bit, but th- <laughs> those are, those are thoughts that I have. And, and I, I really do appreciate gymnastics because I think it does train you how to prepare and then how to perform and if you are too if you're a stress ball when you're trying to do some moves as a gymnast like you're not gonna it's not gonna work for you it's kind of like golf golf is kind of similar to this it's like you put in all that work you hit all those balls but then when you get out there you need to just trust your routine and trust that your training has has gone to work for you and i think track actually uh when i talked to especially collegiate athletes in track and field, they talk about trusting in their training and, and letting it go. So um, there's probably a, a lot of a, you know, a, a alignment there for you. I want to go back a little bit. Just tell me about mom and dad, what they were like. Uh, did you go more towards mom's personality, dad's personality? Uh, what, was, what did you see as a child that helped bring out this, this sort of, let's have fun, but then when I screw up, I'm going to run off and cry because I want to be in it and, and go and compete. Where, where, did, where do you think that all came from? Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I want to say, I totally agree with your rabbit hole. Like I was actually just thinking the same thing. Perfectionism is what you do at practice. And then the trust in the preparation that you did is what comes out when you compete. So that totally makes sense to me. But, um, my parents, I would say, I think I'm sort of a healthy balance between the two. Um, my mom, I would say was a little bit more of the 
person who I probably saw that perfectionism and learned that from. Um, we had a very clean house growing up. Um, and I think she had the time to do it. She worked just every other weekend as a nurse when we were kids. So she was home a lot. Um, and I think she just took pride in keeping a clean house. And that was something that she instilled in us. And to a point where it was annoying to us as kids, like I would go to school one day and then like come home and my Lego house that I built would be gone because she cleaned it up (laughs) and like, dang it, mom, I was still working on that or something. So it was something that we kind of always joked about, but I think I also like internalized a lot of that and said like, okay, this is like, this is what clean looks like. This is what perfection looks like and stuff like that. Like, and I think it's more so, um, she always would say like, all I ask is you do your best. And that like mentality, I think like for me, I've never really had trouble reaching the highest levels of whatever I'm trying to do. I was a musician. I was a gymnast. I was doing sports. I was a straight A student basically basically in high school um you remember the b you remember the b that you got don't you yeah i remember the, <laughs> the a minus in function statistics and trigonometry. um so yeah for the most part like if i gave my best i found that i was the best um so that just kind of related to my expectations to always do that in whatever new thing i try um my dad is probably the more kind of low-key just unconditional love like really chill guy. Um, I definitely, I want to correct myself and say they both gave me unconditional love, but, um, he was the one who just like always said, I'm proud of you. That was really cool. What you did, whatever. And like, I think he, he was an athlete in high school too. And so I'm not sure if like a little bit of that experience made him have like a different approach to it, but what sport? um, he was a wrestler and he ran track as well. All right. So, so <laughs> I work with wrestlers. Um, so I'm sure, you know, dad sounds like unconditional love, but wrestling is a training sport. And, you know, I would argue it's probably the most training sport. Um, swimmers, you know, train their butts yeah. off, but wrestlers, you have to be disciplined. Like your weight matters and they train they just train relentlessly. Um, did he instill the <laughs> discipline in you or that's not his, that's not his MO? Um, I'm laughing because he always said that he, he participated in sports, but he was on the varsity drinking team in high school. Okay. That, that was his <laughs> primary interest. <laughs> so he, I, think, I think both my parents actually were kind of goofballs in high school. It sounds like they, they weren't like super serious about much of anything. So um, definitely my dad was the guy who was, he was in it. He was really tall. So he always would joke about how his long limbs were really hard to tack down, but I don't think that he was the trainer per se as right. much as he was just like doing it for the parties after the meet. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. So I painted, I painted maybe a different picture there. I think I assumed too much, but yeah. so both of them instilled this idea of, Hey, just try your best. We're here to love you. Uh, you know, it's what you do. It's not who you are and come on home and, and we'll love you. But yeah, go, go kick some ass, go do it. Um, yeah. And my dad worked night shifts too. So quite honestly, like I, I paint a rosy picture of my dad, I think, because anytime I got to see him was awesome. Um, <laughs> he would work like a lot of times, not just night shifts, but double shifts and a lot of overtime and stuff. So he was kind of the workaholic, which I definitely got. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's kind of a unique balance that I, I think I sometimes realize as I'm talking about stuff that it's, it's not as clear as it looks, but, um, yeah. So 
when he actually did get to come to gymnastics meets or dance competitions or stuff like that, like it was all, um, just excited to have him there at all. And sometimes I'd look over and like see him at dance practice and he would be sleeping and I'm like, Oh yeah, dad needs sleep because he was up all night working. Like this makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that just because he wasn't around as much, like the, the times that he was there, he was just like probably happy to see us too. (laughs) You said, you said workaholic, like, is he a, a like kind of blue collar in his approach or is it like, you know, driven financially? Like what did you take from him as far as what you saw or, or maybe even what you didn't see uh, with him being gone for those night shifts? Yeah. My sense of it was that if you worked doubles, it was time and a half or double time or something like that. If you stick around longer and I don't think he felt like he had a lot else to do necessarily. So I was like, Oh yeah, if they need me to pick up a shift, I'll pick up a shift. Like that's fine. And like, I can, I think he always sort of had a sense of like, I'm securing the future of my family and I'm the provider and stuff like that. Um, so I think that he just really identified his role as being like the financial provider and the guy who just goes to work and, and just like, he like did a very blue collar job. He was a machinist, um, and stuff like that. So, I think he was just kind of the plow ahead and just keep working attitude um, until probably late high school for me. Um, I remember like this had been a stress on my parents' relationship for a long time that my mom would always say like, you know, you're going to fall asleep driving and kill yourself or someone else. Um, or just like, we need to see you more. You don't need to work this much. Um, we want you in our life kind of thing. So um, I would say that like, around that time, I think he, the message was coming through a little bit clearer and maybe he's like, Oh, my babies are going off to college soon. Um, but he was, we were on our way to go to a vacation and they called him in for work and he's like, Nope, I'm not coming in ever and quit his job. Wow. Cool. But I mean, found another thing after the vacation, but, um, yeah, I think that was like kind of a special memory for us to just be like, he picked us. (laughs) That's, that's just, uh, you, you can probably remember that memory, you remember you guys are in the, are you, where are you when, when that goes down and, and what did that, what did that, you said he picked us and we're loved maybe, but also what did that teach you from a life perspective? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't remember it super clearly, but that's just like the story that we, we tell and that I remember. But, um, as far as like what that taught me, I would say like, I've, always been reminded that you need to put your family and your faith and your like, um, really important priorities first. Um, it's fun to chase after big goals and it's cool to have like exciting things in your life like that. But what makes it all worthwhile is having those people that you love in your life and kind of nurturing those relationships and stuff like that. So, um, I think that's what keeps you grounded and sane a lot of times (laughs) when you are, working as hard as you are to chase after your big dreams. So Heather, you mentioned faith a couple of times um, today. And, you know, when we've talked in the past, I've heard you mention that word as well. Can you just talk about where that comes from for you and, and why that is important for you? Sure. Um, I guess I grew up going to a Methodist church with my family. Um, and I would say like, for the most part, I was like a, a, a normal kid that was like medium listening and medium, just like, dozing off a little bit until, um, I got a little bit older and, um, like really started participating, I think a little bit more and listening in sermons and stuff like that. And I think confirmation was like a really big time for me to actually like 
go to almost like a classroom setting and learn and like kind of make my faith my own a little bit more. Um, but I think it's been really important for me because similarly to the way I said, like my, my priorities need to be the first thing in line in order to have everything else feel good and feel right. Um, I, I'm just a believer. I don't know how better to say it. Like I do believe that matters. I think that, um, the only perfection is in Christ. And so as much as I'm chasing after doing things really well, I can kind of rest in knowing that regardless of whatever I do, I'm safe and I'm loved and I'm perfectly made by him. Um, so that just ongoing sense of, um, that unconditional love and the trust that like, regardless things will be okay. Um, I think is really important for me. Um, and also I have always felt like this, gift of mine of running is so important to be able to share because it does seem unearthly. Um, I think that it's not every day you find something that you're just made to do like that. Um, and so for that reason, I just really, um, want to honor that gift and perform at my best and be vocal in a way that people know that I believe that this came from God. And, um, I just want to be out there to project that and to show people what his love and his strength and his courage and everything looks like when you trust in him. So a couple of things to unpack there. Number one, the word love is a word that you also have mentioned a lot. And, you know, I think love is like the one truth that we all as humans are aspiring for. And the one thing that really connects us is, is love. And it sounds sort of hippie-ish, but it's, it's really true. Like love transcends everything. And it's, it's just this powerful, powerful thing is, is when we, when we feel love, when we're connected by love, uh, and when we love others. Uh, and then the second thing that you hit on, which is the, the faith piece, um, regardless of where people stand on that spectrum, I, I, when I work with athletes that are of faith, um, and by the way, I think that word is is a powerful word in itself because for some people, it might not be in a specific God. It might be a spirituality or it might be a faith in um, something bigger than themselves or however they tend to think about that. But that word faith as an athlete is massive because it's it's everything we were talking about earlier. It's trusting in the training uh, and then putting faith in that whatever God has planned or whatever my destiny or whatever fate is, um, is, is what it is. And, and I'll be hopefully strong enough to deal with whatever comes my way. Uh, is that how you unpack that in, in a way? Yeah, definitely. I think like faith is like not just a metaphor for life. It is life to some degree. So yeah, it's, it's, it's in all of that. And, and, and I think the other interesting thing. There are parallels there to how you look at running. And you said as a freshman, you know, I just sort of went on the track and oh, honestly, it came pretty easy to me. Uh, So you're recognizing also, like I have certain gifts that maybe someone else doesn't have. And especially when it comes to running, um, where I've read research, like no one's ever gone from being really slow to really fast. Um, whereas maybe a golfer went from starting at a really high handicap and worked their way to become a low handicap or the basketball player that just keeps getting reps and shots. Or, um, there, there are other sports where I think, look, I think there's always gifts that show themselves, but I think especially when you talk about running where it's, it's just how fast are you and, and, and what your, what your body composition is like. And that's not to say that obviously you don't work immensely hard to improve and grow and keep your fitness to where it needs to be. But uh, there's an, there's a recognition on your part that you were blessed with some gifts 
um, to do what you're, as you said, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Even like as a little kid, I sort of knew that like we would do the mile run in gym class. And I think I told you the story the last time we talked about, um, it was always just my goal to beat the boys. A lot of girls really can't have that goal of beating the boys and actually succeed in it most of the time. So I think that I knew that I had a, a gift for it, but it wasn't until I really, um, started doing it in a team sports setting where I had, you know, the support of my teammates and my coaches and everything. And, um, it became more than just like a twice a year, like, Oh, I get to do this. It's fun. Um, to like, I could be really good at this and there's a future in it. And, and this is the interesting part for me because so a lot of people that are gifted with something become lazy, um, because they don't have to work, uh, to be good. And here you are as like, a young girl beating boys or running with boys. And then here you are as a freshman or a sophomore and you're already faster than maybe some people that ran track in middle school or or whatever it might've been. Uh, What allowed you to still work hard at your craft or take that approach? Like, Oh wow, this is something I can really be good at. Can you just take us into maybe high school, Heather? Sure. Um, I think, yeah, maybe in some sports, like if you're good enough to beat most people, then you can get lazy about it. But what's cool about track is you're always competing against yourself too. Mm. And I'm competitive and I want to beat me the sense of like, I wonder if I can do it faster and just lowering those times that I had set for myself. So, um, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing and still probably one of the biggest drivers of my career is yeah, it's great to perform well and I want to make Olympic and world championship teams and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I've got like two or three times in the back of my head that I'm like, I need to run these before I'm allowed to retire. <laughs> it's, it's almost that perfectionism coming back in and just saying like, no, that's not good enough. I can do better. Uh, and running against the, the clock or running against the time, uh, yeah. which, which really speaks to like internal motivation and the idea of fulfilling potential. So that was clear for you at a young age. Like, you know, I don't care how good they are. Uh, I'm, I know I can go faster. And if I don't meet my own standards, then it's not good enough. Um, and sort of goes back to your parents also telling you, we, we just want you to try your best. And, and you know, if you give your best, we're, we're, we're just going to love you and, and do that. Was there ever a time where you felt like you didn't try your best? Oh, I don't know. Um, that's, that's a cool thing. And the, the hard part about track sometimes is that the reason that you always think you can run faster is because there's at least one point in every race that you think back and thought I was sitting back there. I wasn't giving my all. Um, and it's, it's really addictive almost to just think about like your race after you finish and especially races where you run really fast, you feel so good. You have all the endorphins when you finish the race, you look at the time and you're excited and you're like, man, on that backstretch, I wasn't that tired. I should have tried more there. So there's probably like always those times in every single race that keep you coming back for more and thinking you can do better. Um, there are certainly some times where I can think of races where I'm like, wow, I really botched that up. Like I, I wasn't trying as I should have or um, something like that. Like most recently, there was a race last year where I was kind of relaxed at the pace be slow. And then someone just nicked me at the line um, as we were finishing because she still had quite a bit of kick left since the race was so slow. And I thought to myself, wow, if I would have just tried and ran the race the way I know I could have, nobody could have hung with me. And that wouldn't have even been an issue. So, um, as much as you try to rely on all your tools with the strength that you have to like run a fast race through the entire thing versus just kicking at the end. Um, you always have to be aware of your surroundings and never really like count anyone out. Beautiful. I, I, so 
uh, we've talked about this, but the, I believe the mindset for preparation is different than the mindset for performance. And one of the, I have like a list of 20 of these that are just polar opposite. And one of them is let's be really self-reflective when we're preparing, but really self-aware when we're performing. And you just hit on sort of when I get into self-reflection mode in, in a performance and I start to get critical or that it's probably not going to help me be where my feet are. It's not going to help me, you know, be in that present moment and, and just find a way. Um, but that self-critical self-reflection of, oh, where could I, could, maybe I could have started kicking 50 meters earlier, or maybe I didn't really empty the tank. That's really necessary to adjust. So self-reflection's massively important when it comes to back to preparing to perform. But in it, I love the term of being aware. Because when we're aware, we have a good sense of where am I, what do I have left, how can I push forward. Um, and some people need to disassociate from the – look, people don't realize like especially a, a mile run is painful. Like the, the pain that comes with your sport, uh, I think most people think of – people running a track and running a mile like oh i just went out for a mile run and they don't realize like track is about pain and about you know dealing with pain are you someone that do you try to dis- disassociate from the pain or do you try to be aware of it and then keep moving forward how do you handle that that back and forth yeah um i think it is, it's totally a balance of back and forth. Like I'm, it's always a goal of mine to be present and to be exactly where I am and to be aware, like you said, of my surroundings and the people who are um, nearby. But, um, I'm actually working with a sports psychologist right now. And this is something that we've been working on a little bit is just kind of like the, um, recognition of your current situation, but having self-compassion towards it and embracing it. So, um, like when you're, when you're racing and you're like, oh man, this is getting really hard right now, then you say like, okay, I hear you. It's there. That's fine. But you know what? That means you're doing it right. And kind of that mentality of like, we embrace the pain because that means that you're getting the best out of yourself. And just that ultimate trust that I've done the work, I've done the preparation and everything to be able to run through this pain and still have another gear when it comes to the finish of the race. I love that word compassion. And I was just talking to a team and they said, we value compassion. Like, um, and, or, or when we are, uh, you know, with ourselves, like let's have compassion, but also be competitive. So if you can blend com- compassion with competitiveness, I think that's awesome. So, um, I want to, I want to keep your story going. So you're in high school. Um, you realize like, all right, I like gymnastics, but I really think track is where I can get really good. Um, walk me through going through high school and then the transition to college and, and really becoming a division one athlete and, and what that was like for you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I realized and recognized that track was my sport, but I still love gymnastics. So I continued to do, um, all three sports, cross country, gymnastics and track all through high school. And I guess it was probably like my junior, senior year when I started realizing like college coaches are contacting me. They're interested in me to do this. And I shifted kind of my mindset from my preparation for flute solos for my music scholarship that I thought I was going to get to, you know what, my, my running is speaking for itself and I'm getting offered full rides to school. So 
um, that was kind of a little bit of a transition of mindset of like, who I, am I, what am I good at and what do I want to do in the future? And I always just had so much more fun in sports um, than music. I loved it, but it was definitely more of a chore for me. So I did a few like just unofficial college visits and spoke to a ton of coaches on the phone. Um, I was a busy high schooler, like every high schooler is. So quite honestly, sometimes I didn't even know who I was talking to. Like, wait, was this Michigan or Michigan state and stuff like that? You know, that's, that's not necessarily the case. So you think that it's normal to be a three sport athlete and be, it sounds like you're pretty competitive with playing the flute. Um, but for you, that's normal. But for a lot of high school athletes, they do have time or a lot of high school students who aren't athletes, but you normalize that busyness, um, or, uh, you know, constantly moving and, and doing, you know, multiple things was normal. Um, do, do you recognize that? Um, well, I guess maybe I think that now because I coach high school athletes and it seems like they are so busy and trying to do so many things. So, um, is from my perspective, that was normal to be involved in everything you could be in high school. And I know that, that there's like a big shift nowadays to kids like specializing in sports and stuff like that, but I certainly wasn't there. Um, so yeah, from that perspective, I would say I totally thought that it was just what you do is be involved in a ton of stuff. But um, quite honestly, like talking about recruiting, I think my mom talked to more coaches than I did because she was the one who was home to answer the phone when I was still at late night gymnastics practices or going to FCA or practicing my flute at church or whatever the case may be in the evenings. Got it. So, so you end up in Minnesota in part because this coach, you know, valued you and, uh, really saw a place for you and made you, I'm, I'm going to use this, but I don't know if it made you feel special or made you feel wanted. Um, so you get, you get up there and tell me about the experience in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so it was funny because Matt Bingle was the one who did much of the recruiting. And then I met Gary Wilson, the head distance coach when, um, I came to my actual visit there and, um, he talked about their priorities about how it's going to be your faith, family and education first and then sports. And I think that was kind of what sealed the deal for me to go to the school is like, all right, these people are kind of in alignment with what I um, believe in as well. And, um, I could stay close to home and be near my family, but still feel far away. Um, so I went and, um, starting out, I had redshirted my freshman year in cross country. So my first competitive season was in the winter in indoor track. And sort of the same um, experience I had when I started track in high school happened again in college where I'm racing people and they're fast. So that made me faster. Um, My personal best that was at the time, I think a state meet record in the half mile, for example, was 210.42. And that's what I ran at my first kind of smaller indoor meet at the University of Minnesota when we hosted one. And then a couple weeks later, we went to Notre Dame and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was racing a girl who was, you know, top three at the NCAA at every meet. And I jumped down to 203. And that is like an absurdly huge chunk of time to drop in one race. And I think it was just because I was used to racing. Like I just wanted to be up there and perform. So I But time out. Time out because here's where I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. So like with runners, we're always talking about, are, are we racing the people or are we racing the time? And you mentioned earlier, like for me, I was always wanting to be at my best and be at my best, but, but here you are being pushed by other fast people and they're actually helping you bring out your best. Can you walk me through that push pull of, am I racing a clock in my own standards or am I racing against whoever's in my heat? 
Yeah. I think your perspective of what your best is, is only like brought out when you're competing against people who are at your level. So like I thought I was pushing harder and I was bracing the clock in high school when I didn't have a lot of competition at most of my meets. Um, and then I got to college and I still wanted to do my best, but if 210 was my best and I was getting dropped by seven seconds, then it wasn't going to hack it. So I was at that point, I think more so chasing the people in my race and, um, you have to stay in it. You have to stay engaged and build that momentum of feeling like you're with the field in order to really find something at the end to try and compete in place at the end of those races. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's a little bit of both, but most of the time, even if you are maybe the class of the field, you're racing the race for at least the first half. And then you're starting to race yourself in the second half when you, um, know that you can make it, you know, that you're in the place that you want to be, you sort of solidified your position. And now it's just, what do you have left? It's so interesting because I feel like a lot of college athletes and I'll be, I'd be curious to get your perspective as a high school coach on this is a lot of college athletes will say I ran faster in high school. Um, and they'll tell me like, I was just free and I just, you know, ran and then they get intimidated or whatever the case may be that, in college, they're actually slower and they're training more and they should be more fit. And they're like, I just, I don't know what, maybe I'm too tense or whatever it might be. But for you, you actually went the opposite way where once you got to a certain, uh, level in high school, you needed to be pushed more and maybe there was no one pushing you. And I've, I've seen that happen with elite college runners where, they are being pushed now, whether it's running with the boys in practice or it's, um, you know, in these, they're playing in the, they're running in these national, uh, meets and they're actually going faster. It's, I've always said like, it's when you watch the Olympics and you always see all these world records come out, it's cause they are in, they're pushing each other and they're challenging. And there's psychology that backs up the idea of, you know, the pace setter going faster can actually push, uh, the rest of me. And I just learned about a rabbit, which I had never heard of. Um, and we don't need to go into what a rabbit is, but quick synopsis for those that are listening who don't know, like a rabbit is somebody that might enter a meet and they're just going to push the pace for everybody else. So they force themselves to go faster and then a rabbit will actually drop out of a meet, but they set that pace at a faster time to push people. So the human psyche is an amazing thing because yeah, when we are pushed subconsciously, we might not even realize that our, our splits are faster. And I know I'm throwing a lot your way, but my main question to you would be, why do you think it was that you brought out your best when you elevated a level because I'm sure you've known other people where when that, when that got elevated, it actually brought out their worst. What do you think allowed you to bring out your best when the competition become became harder? Yeah. Um, I would say a couple of things like some high school athletes might not perform better in college, having nothing to do with their psychological perspective of a higher level or more, or more performance anxiety or anything like that. But they literally worked too hard in high school because I had a really good, um, high school coaches who made sure that they were saving my better running for the years ahead. Um, so that's a huge props to them. But then, um, I would say beyond that, I still think that I had this enduring sense of, um, trust, I guess. I don't know that I, I'm loved no matter what I had unconditional, like, love and um, appreciation from my coaches and my teammates and from God. And like, 
it, I was free still, you know, like I'm still free. It doesn't really make a difference if I'm racing against high schoolers or collegiate athletes. Like I'm free to do my best. I'm free to take risks. I can do what I need to do in a race to see what I'm made of and let the chips fall where they may. You have such clarity going in, into that race. And I think a lot of people get cluttered. And so they started thinking about outcome or they started thinking about what ifs, what if I don't do this or uh, my scholarship or, you know, a lot of non-controllables, but it sounds like what, what really helped you and you've said it over and over, it's like, this is where I'm meant to be, or this is where I'm supposed to be. And there's clarity in, you know, let's just do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, And I, I, I think that's, that, that comes it's probably deeper than just saying that it's probably a belief system. It's probably faith. It's probably your family, your upbringing. It's this convergence of, of things that lead you to get to that line with clarity. Um, did you ever have clutter in your mind, uh, for a race? And can you remember what that was like where maybe you didn't have that clarity? Yeah, I would say that, if we're skipping ahead even a little bit further, I wouldn't necessarily say I had a lot of clutter in my mind in high school or college necessarily, but my transition into the professional world was maybe a little bit more that way. And I think that, um, some of the hindrances of my performance were like just understanding that this is now my career. I'm expected to make money at it and that kind of pressure that exists there. And also, because I was one of these people who kind of just follow the traditional lines of like, okay, I do the high school thing and I do the college thing. Now I'm supposed to get a job. Um, at the time I didn't really see running professionally as that job per se. And, um, I was kind of concerned about like, I always said I was going to go on to do physical therapy school after college. And now I'm just continuing my sport, which is fun. So does this really count as being like a responsible adult if I just keep doing this? Um, So it kind of was a little while before um, I recognized that the the game maybe looks a little different, but it's still the same, um, and it's the same love for me, and also that it's not irresponsible of me to chase these dreams and to continue in my sport. Gotcha. Take me to college. Uh, Let's just finish up that part, and then I want to find out about your mindset as a pro, which you're starting to get into a little bit. Um, The 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 reason that we connected was because your race in 2008. I think it was 2008, where uh, you know in in Big Ten championships and. You have this big fall, which when we talked, you told me like, oh, I really didn't think it was that big a deal. Um, but I'm sure uh, it's, a, it's something that's been a part of your story along the way. So can you just explain to people that maybe haven't seen that video, what transpired that day and what your mentality was like? And um, I know when we spoke last, it was something that has really stuck with me as far as uh, where do we focus and how do we focus and how do we shift when things don't go our way, but just paint the picture for us, um, of that day and sort of what happened and, and how you have made sense of it. That was going to be our, our attempt at a second, um, big 10 championship indoor. We'd won our first ever the year before. And our, my coach always said, we go to the well for this. We, run um, multiple events and we try to score as many points as we can for the team. So my mentality going into most big 10 meets where I was put under a lot of um, (laughs) tight conditions to be able to run well, um, tripling up on events in a day was I'm a machine for the team. Um, I'm just going to do everything I can in each race and make the most of these opportunities to earn some points. So getting into that race, it was the day of the finals. 
I had run the preliminary race of the mile and the 600 the day before. I had just run the mile final, maybe 45-ish minutes before the 600, and then I'm going into that race. And um, you're you're tired early on, even before it started. So that was just my mentality going in, as I was going to try and try and win it. Um, so the gun goes off. We start racing. Everything's pretty normal. Um, just given the situation and how everything's about placing and not really times or performance of the Big Ten meet, I just kind of fell in step behind um, one of the other runners from Penn State and let her take the leash. And just as I was getting ready to go around her and to pass her with a lap to go, um, I must have cut a little bit too close or something because she um, kind of clipped my heels a little bit as I was trying to get back into lane one. And I felt my heel kind of like clip against her one time on one foot at that point, that's like never happened to me in a track race before. And like I told you at the time, like it really didn't seem like that big of a deal. I remember seeing my hands on the track and thinking like, well, that's never good. I don't want to be in this position in the middle of a race. You're supposed to be on your feet, but, um, really just was like, I need to get up and start racing again. So, um, just turned it around, looked up and was like, man, a a big gap had formed. I didn't really realize how long I'd been down there. Um, but just, still thought I'm supposed to win this race. I'm going to try and get back in it. So, um, at the very least, I'm going to finish the race to earn some points for the team. So I just start running and, um, slowly, but surely, which doesn't really seem all that slowly, but surely in the video, if you actually watch it, cause it's about 30 seconds for the lap, I'm, I'm catching up to the field. And, um, then probably around the back stretch, I'm passing one girl and there's two ahead of me. And like the energy of the field house was so amazing. And, um, I was so close and just kind of came in right at the finish line ahead of them. Um, but it was one of those just like cool races where it was entirely effortless. It just seemed like everything came together. And, um, I don't really remember the pain of that race. Like you talked about, it was just all about competing and and riding on the energy of the room. So I always say like, an athlete needs to have a level of narcissism when they're performing. And I think people hear narcissism and they think that it's all about being self-absorbed. But to me, when I hear narcissism, I hear something more than confidence, like something like you can believe in yourself when it doesn't make any sense to believe that that's possible. And so I think about you with with your hands on the track and saying, well, I'm, I'm going to win this thing. And to most people, that's completely narcissistic. It may, there's no logic to that belief. And so, but for me, like when I hear athletes talk and elite great athletes, they don't look at things in the sense of like, I can't do it or it's not going to happen. They just have this utter belief that, all right, well, I'm going to compete and I'm going to find a way to win. And I think where a lot of athletes struggle is when they get too logical uh, in their head and they just say, well, I'm not supposed to do this or I can't come back from that. And they get really logical and logic is great when I'm preparing, but it just doesn't help me when I'm competing because sports, if it teaches us anything, is that logic doesn't prevail. And we live in a data analytic world now where everyone wants to think that everything is about what someone's done in the past and what that past will dictate what they do in the future. And I just don't think that that's all of what sports are about. I think sports are about the illogical. It's about the improbable. And what you did was just improbable. It was illogical. But as you're putting your hands on the track there, there is self-belief that I can, I can run fast and I can catch these girls, even though there's a, a massive gap. Um, and, and there are a couple of things that I think you shared with me the previous time. Uh, your split from the time that you got up to the time you finished, you, that was like faster than you'd ever 
ever run before. Is that, is that accurate? Um, Possibly. Yeah. I, it's hard to get like an accurate split just from watching the video, but, um, I, I, it was, it was probably like fairly normal. Honestly, I, I don't remember saying that it was faster than I've okay. ever done. Um, but yeah, I think like it definitely gives that perspective when I'm coming up quickly on some other girls in the race. And, and then, uh, and then you also got points for your team that were really valuable, right? Like those, uh, what do you get? Eight points for, yeah. so talk about that just because you, you started this by yeah. saying, you know, I, I was just a machine to get points for my team. And I was really thinking about other people and, and you valued being part of a team. So just talk about get, getting those points and what that meant for your team. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my favorite, like that's the punchline of the story, so to speak, um, is that, um, actually I was second overall in the 600 meters and this is confusing for a lot of people, but they split the race up into two heats because it is such a quick race for people to be running, not in their lanes, um, for exactly the reason you saw. Sometimes people get clipped and go down. So, um, even with only four people in my heat, it can still happen. But, um, there was a girl from a first heat that ran a couple hundreds faster than I had. So she had won it. And, um, two funny parts of that. One is that I totally thought I won the whole thing. So going to the end of the meet, they're kind of bringing us up after the fact to collect our um, medals and awards and stuff like that. And I'm standing in the middle to climb up on the top level of the podium. And this girl, Audrey Smoot from Indiana, I'll never forget her, had to like tap me on the shoulder and tell me to move over to second because she had actually won. I'm like, what? Really? Everybody told me I won. I never actually looked back to check. Um, so that was kind of funny. But so they, do they combine, they combine times? Is that what they do? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting because usually, like you said, um, if everything was logical, if the race was on paper, then we wouldn't be doing this. But in this case, you don't really have an opportunity to race head to head, but they use the times from the preliminary round the day before to make a quote, slow heat and a quote, quote, fast heat. So, um, but getting second for the, um, event ended up getting me eight points overall in that. And we ended up winning the big 10 championships that year by exactly eight points. So, um, that's one of those just like cool face founding moments where you're like, all right, that was exactly as it was meant to be. And just really cool to know that if I had stayed down or just given up, then, um, that wouldn't have, our team wouldn't have won. And I still had one more event after that, which, was the four by four at the end of the meet. And my coach literally was just like, Heather, stay on your feet. That's all I ask. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think like we've earned a couple points there and I don't think my coaches would have let me race had I stayed down before. So all those things just kind of work together to be kind of that perfect moment for our team. And, um, I think I've, like people talk about this all the time and say like, Oh, it's so cool. Like the never giving up thing. And like, they use a lot of the like kind of easily, um, absorbed lessons to be learned from it. But, um, what I always like to share with people and the really important thing that I learned from that day is it's not important to never give up because that's just what you do. Or like that shows persistence and um, perseverance and stuff like that. It's that you never really know what you can do if you continue to try. Um, and those opportunities to kind of learn, um, what you're made of and see something miraculous come from yourself that you never expected, um, is what makes sport and life really cool. Like it can be a lot of different, um, examples of when you were literally or figuratively on your face on the track, but, um, it's in those moments and those choices that you make to stay positive and to just continue to try that you may find something that you have never seen before of yourself. Isn't that, it's, 
it's the inconsistency of life. Uh, it's like life isn't, isn't this consistent. Uh, everything always goes in line. It, to your point, the beautiful things are often, they stem from some ugliness. Um, and, and greatness or, or elite performance often involves some ugliness. And we often just paint this picture of it just being beautiful. Uh, and it's just never that way. Uh, and I don't care mm-hmm. who you ask. So, uh, it's just such a cool story. And I, like I said, I, I said to you when we talked last time, like, you know, I, we probably wouldn't be chatting if it wasn't for that. And, uh, so I'm grateful that you fell because I get to get your insight on it. And, um, I think it's, I don't think it's also an accident that you were able to get up and, and keep running fast. I think it, it stems from, you know, moments way before that moment, um, that led to you being able to do that. So I think we compound moments, uh, and whether that's training or what we eat, um, or what we do mentally, um, or what we do tech technically, uh, they all lead to just moments. And I have a phrase that I use with my clients, which is win the moment. And so when you're sitting there on the track, it might've felt like I lost that moment, but you can win the next moment. And I think we often talk about trying to win days or win trainings and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, there's going to be a training that you have where you're going to lose a moment or there's going to be a day where you have something bad happen quickly. And how quickly can you snap recover and, and keep moving forward and, and, and keep pushing the ball? Because like you said, there's, there's uncertainty of what we can do. There's just unknown. And, you know, you could have finished last in that and it still would have been a valuable experience for you because you got up and you kept going. Um, so there's just value in, in adversity and, and that's been pretty proven over time. And by the way, there's a time to quit. Like, um, you know, if you had had a concussion or if you had broken a, a, a bone in your leg, um, you know, that might've been a different story too. So I think we often say like, just keep going, keep going, but there's always times to shift and quit. And, and we're going to get into your pro career. And I heard this from you, which is, you know, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be doing this, if I was, if I should be in physical therapy or, you know, am I just a runner and like, is this a real job and all this sort of stuff. There will come a time where I'm sure you're going to have to say, you know what, it's time to hang up the shoes. And, um, you know, and, 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 and that's quitting and, that's okay too, because there might be another opportunity that uncovers itself. So, um, I agree with you. I think too often we just say like, just keep going, just keep going. And there, there's also a time to, to not. Um, and I think that's, that's an important message that nothing is always just so simple that you always, let's just keep grinding and keep going. I, the word grind always gets at me. Cause I'm like, no, if there's not a light at the end of the tunnel, don't grind, like go find another path to success. So tell me about your pro career and what that's been like for you and, uh, the journey and, and what, just walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so gosh, I mean, it's kind of interesting that you're talking about that first because I just turned 30 this year. Um, so, um, graduated in a non-traditional time in December of 2009, um, after I finished out my eligibility for cross country, um, since I did that all four years and then joined the professional circuit kind of the same way I started college, um, with the indoor season first. And, um, I was like pretty good. I was third in the 800, like kind of starting out, um, at the indoor national meet. And I would say like was running as well as I had before, but didn't have that same, like expected just like, Oh, I'm going to elevate to the level of my competition immediately feel that I had had before. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge for me just to kind of get started and to figure out like what I'm doing and, 
um, where I fit in the whole professional scene, but it was exciting, I think to me, because it was kind of a new challenge and it was like, all right, now, now that I can't just rely on everything that has worked for me before, what more can I do and how can I be more committed and, um, just sort of tap into more of the details that I think athletes oftentimes ignore, um, to be able to, to be able to make the most of your, um, entire potential. So, um, I would say a couple of years into my career, I started actually having quite a bit of success in the road mile, um, which is a unique event off of the track. Obviously, um, I won my first U S championship as a professional in 2012, um, on that road mile championships, which was here at home again in Minneapolis. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then I think just a little bit of that confidence and that swagger came back to me at that point. Like I can beat the pros. I can be in this game and I can do this. And that, um, was probably a big, um, transitional moment for me where I started expecting to, um, not see anyone in front of me when I crossed finish lines again. And so at that point I, I started winning some races and winning more road miles. I've somehow accrued the name of being the queen of the road mile and stuck at this point. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's kind of a, a different thing to be good at, but I think that, um, my goals that I've been working on, especially with that sports psychologist, like I said, has been transferring that confidence and that swagger from the roads back to the track to see the same level of success there that I've had on the roads. Um, and it's, and I think it's happening. It's, we're kind of in that, um, realm now and things are improving. And, um, I've had a very like incremental improvement sort of career entirely. It's sort of like the tortoise or the hare approach. I definitely at this point, I've just been dropping smaller amounts of time, um, in my events as I've gone on and also changed my focus from the 800 to the 1500 in the mile to even running a couple three K's this indoor season last year and the two mile at nationals. And I'm signed up for my first track 5k this year. So that should be kind of fun. Um, but can you explain to people like the 5k 3k and I just like, I work with track people. So I understand like what that goes in from a mental standpoint to take those leaps and, uh, fitness and, uh, endurance and, uh, pain again, that word pain, uh, what that entails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you train a certain way to be really good at your event. So when I am strictly a miler, I want to be really good at the mile. So I might train a little bit below, a little bit at, and a little bit above the event. And, um, at this point I haven't really touched much above the mile until about last year when I started doing the 3000 meters, which is just about two miles. Um, and it's a whole different feel like in, in a very different, um, context. I use the word grind to describe that because it's, it's not fast enough to hurt right away, but you have to just keep running through it. And it's just kind of odd. Um, and I'm expecting the 5k to be even weirder yet, but when you want to compete at a high level and I'm, I'm hoping to throw down a pretty good opener for my very first 5k ever, just because that's who I am and that's what I like to do. Um, the pace isn't even that much different. Um, if you break it down into shorter increments for what you're doing for two miles or for 3.13 for the 5k. So, um, it will definitely be an intriguing experience for me. 
do you do you use any mental tools to help you, especially uh, when there is self doubt? Uh, like you said, when I first got, it, I was like, you know, I finished third, so I, I knew I could compete. But um, along the way, I've built maybe more confidence and more belief in myself. Can you just walk us through some of the mental tools that you have in your toolbox that you will utilize, um, and what those are like for you? Yeah, um, I think I've learned that when I'm performing at my best, I'm happy. Um, I'm finding joy in the situation and I'm not taking myself too seriously. So that is something that I'm always looking to recreate when I'm going into competitive situations is still finding people to enjoy and talk to and and make it something that's fun. And I'm not sure if that's considered a mental tool, but that's sort of a coping strategy I'd say to approach competition. Um, and then we've been working a lot on, um, creating a, like a visualization script that I use before, um, races, so um, I, I kind of write it out and plan it with my sports psychologist, Haley, and she and I um, figure out all the important things to put in there. And a lot of it is just um, being really comfortable with the surroundings that I'm expecting to be in. So it's just really describing the warm-up setting all the way to the start of the race and then some of the things that I'll actually say to myself during the race um, to make sure that I stay committed because you were talking about kind of fear of failure and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of my biggest things is I worry that when I finish the race that I'm going to look at myself and say, I really didn't give it my best. And that's, um, um, I always kind of put something in my scripts about, um, my like staying committed, staying focused, staying in the field and all those kind of things, just to make sure that when it comes to that critical moment at the end of the race, when you have to make a choice to run through the pain and finish faster, um, that I'll still be where I need to be in the race. So I think that visualization has really helped me feel comfortable in my surroundings and like expect the normalcy of, of how I feel and, um, and know that it's okay that I'm nervous and kind of, um, normalize that a little bit more. So, yeah. Is failure for you not trying your hardest and and still feeling like you could have gone faster? Is that how you define failure or how do you define failure? Um, I would say that it's, it's a couple things. Like usually you can go into a race and like I said, it's not raced on paper, but you can kind of look at it and see where you should finish on a good day. If you just do everything right. And you always hope for those magical days where maybe you, um, step even above that. Um, but I would say my definition is if I don't even kind of reach that standard of what I think, like on any given day, I should be about right here. Um, if I don't do that, then I feel like I've either executed poorly or just like gave given up on myself at some point during the race, because I'll be the first to admit, like the words I use is that I feel sorry for myself when things start to hurt. And usually it takes a little while for me to kind of pull my head out and then I'll still have this monstrous kick at the end. And it's like, well, if I were just focused and committed and stayed engaged the entire race, then what could I have done rather than kicking from fifth to third? Maybe I could have kicked from third to first. So that is probably one of my biggest battles that I'm working on still is start to feel the pain and start to feel sorry for myself. Um, and just like stay, engaged do you do anything else to train your focus or your concentration because you mentioned the ability to focus and and be all in with that is there anything else you do uh, to train that if you think about how i want to feel at the end of the race during the race and i think about um sort of like I, i bring in my faith into that and think like all right am i being a clear window to christ right now and i think about the fact that it's probably going to be done sooner than I think, because it always happens where you're in the race and you're like, it just seems so far away. It's going to be really hard. 
And then all of a sudden it's like, shoot, it's, it's almost done. Have I done everything I can? So just reminding myself of those things, um, hugely helpful for me to, um, stay in the moment and stay focused because, um, it's, it's what's most important to me. I kind of just reminds me of my goals and my values. Awesome. So with that, let's, let's end, uh, our conversation today. Uh, Heather, I appreciate it. Uh, I know you have a busy day ahead, uh, and you're, you're training hard and it sounds like you're working on the mind, the body and, and, and the technical side as well, which are the three components to performance. So uh, I appreciate it. It's been fun getting to talk to you. Uh, maybe we'll talk again, uh, where I can continue to just pick your brain about things that you do and how you look at coaching, which we didn't even get into. Um, and you know, how you are trying to inspire others and, um, how you're doing professionally as well. But, uh, thanks for sharing your story. It's, it's a great story. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I've enjoyed it and I'm wishing you all the best on, on the rest of your journey. Hey, after 30, like coming from someone who is on the other side of that as well, uh, it all just starts to blend together. It's like you celebrate all these birthdays up to 30, I guess, I guess 40 will, will be the next one, but like, it's like 31, 32, 33. You're like, all right, these are all the same now. Um, but, but for you, as you start to count down, I guess your pro career, it might be a little different, but I appreciate you coming on the beyond the surface podcast. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk again real soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks to Heather for coming on the beyond the surface podcast. Really enjoyed chatting with her. If you want to follow her on Twitter, she is a good follow there. Uh, you can check out her Twitter handle. It's Heather Ray, R-A-E, Camp, K-A-M-P-F. Heather Ray Camp on Twitter. Uh, definitely give her a follow. Support her as she continues her journey. You can tell she's got a lot of things going on and she's trying to make a push uh, with when it comes to competing on the world stage. So really appreciate Heather coming on. I think she has great clarity around who she is and where she's supposed to be. She has both fate and faith uh, on her side and I think she's pretty clear on what she wants to do and she wants to just max this body out see how far she can take her running and along the way she's learning a ton she's an open-minded person she's learning how to coach other runners and she's learning about her psychology her mentality and I just find her to be someone who's super intelligent but also humble and a constant learner while also understanding that she has great self-belief in herself and when she toes the line she's going to know that she's done everything that she can to prepare for that moment and then it's time for her to just be a machine and let that machine go to work for her. It's clear that she's had coaches along the way who have also helped shape her mentality and her mindset. And you can see and you can hear just how clear she is about who she is, where she's supposed to be, and going for a ride and seeing where that journey will take her. So with that, I appreciate you listening to the Beyond the Surface podcast, and we will talk again real soon.